At Highland, we're all about celebrating little wins and little ways to innovate digital processes. There's no customer pain point too small for us to help with. Maybe that's why more than half of the Fortune 100 looks to Highland to connect their content and data, improve processes, and turn little efficiencies into big wins for their customers and clients. Highland, intelligent content solutions for innovators everywhere at highland.com. Hi, I'm Danny Elfman. This is Shirley Manson. This is Debbie Harry. This is Chris Steyer Blondie. This is Roland Orzabal from Tears for Fears. This is Billy Idol. This is Alex Ebert, a.k.a. Edward Sharp, giving the story behind the song. Hi, this is Peter Chotty, host of the story behind the song. Each month I speak to some of music's biggest artists to get the inside stories behind their most lasting and iconic songs. Join me for new episodes on the third Monday of every month on the story behind the song from the Consequence Podcast Network, available wherever you get your podcasts. The Aquabats are an iconic band of superheroes who also happen to play music. And sometimes that music also happens to be ska. So today we bring on one of those superheroes, an entity known as Eagle Bones Falcon Hawk, or Ian Fowles when he's not being a superhero. We talk to Ian about his pre-Aquabats career, what it's like working on TV, and we get to the bottom of the big question, does Ian like ska? A lot of people who like the Aquabats got into them just through their records. I came at it like totally backwards. Like for me, I was never into the Aquabats until I happened to see them live doing security at Slim's. Mm -hmm. And then I got it. And then I was like, oh, this is actually super sick. And then it had an even a second life for me watching my friend's kids get into them through the Aquabats super show. Yeah. I saw Aquabats in like 1995 it was similar to me. I wouldn't say I disliked Aquabats, but I wasn't like a, I wasn't like a hardcore fan. But I saw them play, and I, I had a similar sort of experience. Like, oh, I get these guys are fully committed to this. They are creating a world, and the the music is just part of it. If you had a an Aquabats name, it would be Meat Sandwich McGillicuddy. <laughs> First thing I want to ask you about is um, something called Fart Sauna. <laughs> can you tell us about fart sauna yes i can sure <laughs> um <laughs> it was what we almost named the band death by stereo oh <laughs> yeah we used to practice in our drummer jared's parents house and uh they had kind of um jared and his dad had kind of built out in in their garage this like less than one car garage space for all for us to like jam in so they'd put up a wall in the garage there and um it was not soundproof but kind of you know took took it down a few notches you know and so we would that's where we practice in this little narrow place in their garage and um for a while it didn't have any air conditioning in there and you can only imagine what it smelled like <laughs> yeah we've all we've all been in practice basically like right if someone lets one go and it's it's 100 degrees <laughs> and it became the fart sauna so you're just chilling in there sweating it out how serious were you about 
Bart Sauna being the band name. Uh, it was on the list, man. I mean, it was it was there. It was there was <laughs> there was a list of band names, and it was on there. So, <laughs> what else made it onto that list? Oh man, if I could, I'm sure Ephraim still has that list somewhere. Um, <laughs> Cat Butt was one. Um, <laughs> I mean, it's just we were teenagers. It was ridiculous name, ridiculous names. Wow. So it could have been Cat Butt and then uh, Cat Bite. Split seven inch. <laughs> yeah. Who knows? Yeah. The cat butt cat bite tour. Yeah. Um, honestly, I, there was a, a full page list of ridiculous names. Dirty dirt and the dirt. I don't know. There was just a bunch. That's of good. Ri- ridiculous names on there. Even death by stereo is not even like a great name either, but come on. I was really into like vampire movies and, and lost time. And yeah. No, it does. Death by stereo is a good band name, but you don't even have to know that it's a lost boys reference yeah yeah it's all right i guess <laughs> did you did you did you choose death by stereo the name yeah pretty much yeah i like it was kind of it was kind of my thing that i put together looking back i mean i kind of named it like designed the logo and the like skull with the cross lightning bolts and stuff and so wrote most of the most of the original songs and stuff Wait, so did the original logo look like it looks now, or was it like hand-drawn? Well, I had hand-drawn it, but then um, Paul Miner, who had computer skills at the time, which not many people did, uh, mm-hmm. you know, this is like 97-ish or something, he he had taken, I had this, this seven-inch the, the, from the Goonies, it was that Cindy Lauper song from the Goonies. Mm-hmm. I had that seven-inch, and he took the skull from the dot of the eye on the Goonies, Nice. And made that the skull for our, <laughs> the skull and cross lightning bolts logo. So, um, he, yeah, he found a way to like, back then it was like magic. Like, yeah, Paul knows about computers, man. He can like do layouts on, on computers. <laughs> like no one knew how to do that stuff back then, really, you know. Uh, he had like done the, re- the re-release for AFI's um, Answer That and Stay Fashionable album on Nitro. He'd like done the full like layout, relay, new layout for it and everything. We were just like all impressed that he could figure out how to do that. Back in the nineties, uh, I had a friend who had an Apple, and he showed me um, everything that you can do in an Apple and had all this clip art. And we he helped me make flyers for my band and stuff, and maybe even an album layout and stuff. And I thought it looked so cool at the time, but it just it's so funny now. Just just <laughs> random clip art, like just things that don't even make sense together because you just like see all these things and you like want to put as many of them in as possible. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> there was a definite at that time too, like overdoing of things, right? Sure. <laughs> yeah. Because now that you have access to the, the computers and stuff and and the and the world uh of clip art and the internet and stuff, you kinda <laughs> You do you overdo it a lot? I think when like kind of bad. How much of the original material did you write? Um, most of the songs. I I, I mean, it was seven inch and and uh, demo tape and a few other songs, pretty much mine that I brought in. And you know, we'd bring it in, and everyone would kind of have their two cents at it too. You know. It was kind of born out of like uh, the ashes of three other bands that we had been in in high school. Um, 
one was called the Decons that uh, Jared Alexander, the drummer, and I were in, and then Kleenex, C L E A N X, which was a band that uh, Paul and Jim Minor had been in, and I had been in for a minute with them as well, and then this band Clint that Ephraim sang for. So, um, and those three bands, like we just played every weekend somewhere in Orange County, Coos Cafe mainly. Um, but yeah, public storage before it became chain reaction showcase theater and then any backyard party we could get or anything. So did you prefer the club shows or the backyard party shows? I, I loved all of it. I just yeah. loved playing. Yeah. Yeah. It didn't matter to me. What was, what was your rig at that time for a guitar? Um, I had a Les Paul and a Marshall half stack. Wow. You're coming yeah. right out the gate with fire. Um, yeah, kind of. I, well, I got lucky, uh, really, because okay. Um, the Marshall I picked up the head and the cabinet separately, really, really cheaply used. Mm-hmm. Um, at the time, I didn't know what I had. Like the Marshall head was this 1977 JMP Master Volume 100 watt head. No, in the 90s, no one wanted the stuff from the 70s. Yeah, or even 60s, really. And so, you know, I got that head for, I think it was like 300 bucks, which is kind of a lot, I guess, then. That thing's worth like, I think, over, well over two grand now. It's yeah, this coveted head. And at the time, it was cheaper than like the, the newer JCM 900s that kind of everyone, the new stuff that people wanted. But I was like, I'll get this cheaper one. It's, it kind of sounds better to me, too. But it had a, a, actually a big affle- effect on how I played. I think the gear you have really shapes how you play too. How so? Well, it was a master volume, so it didn't have channel switching, right? So I had to figure out how to go between clean and dirty sounds, right? So its main thing that does really well is just that kind of heavy distortion sound. Mm -hmm. And that head I got actually had a gain mod in it, so it got more distortion than it should have had um, in the 70s. Someone had modded it along the way just sounds incredible it sounds so good but uh so i had to learn how to use my like pickup selector switch on my guitar and like turn down my the neck pickup volume so when i'd switch there uh it'd be a little quieter but also cleaner right my mm-hmm. clean sound was never super duper clean and i didn't use it all that much but um but instead of like using a bass clean sound and then hitting a distortion pedal to go to distortion my main sound was distortion and I'd flip my pickup switch to go to cleanish. Mm-hmm. So I didn't really use pedals back then. It was a main, it was just a, a t- I don't even know if I had a tuner pedal. Yeah. Most, most people didn't. <laughs> I don't think I had, I didn't think I had any pedals. Did you just have the little boss tuner that you'd have to, I didn't even have a boss tuner until just had, had a tune by ear. No, I had this crappy little like Radio Shack tuner I would plug into and <laughs> and tune before the set. You know, it was like a little battery powered, right? Uh, unit that I would I would plug into and like I tune it before we went on and then just like plug in and hope it stayed in tune. And if not, just kind of tune it by ear if, if I heard something that didn't sound quite in tune. So, did everybody else have decent gear, or what was everybody else rocking? Yeah, because even though like we were like kind of teenagers we had all been playing for a little while and we wanted mm-hmm. to like, sound really pro and and play with other pros and like 
go kind of go for it you know so yeah paul had like a carvin bass amp rig at the time which uh they were kind of like a local ish you know Mm -hmm. company that yeah the carvin and paul and jim minor they had a pa they were like the only guys around who had a pa so like everyone knew the minor brothers because they're if you wanted to play a party you needed to borrow their pa (laughs) yeah yeah they were the guys with carvin pa and then yeah jim had a Jim had a Marshall half stack as well. I think you think he had a Carvin half stack. Eventually, a Marshall one, maybe. Mm-hmm. But you guys are just coming out the gates blazing, like no combo amps, <laughs> just going straight to half stacks. Yeah, it makes a big difference. <laughs> yeah. What were the other bands? Uh, you know, during the the three bands that predated Death by Stereo and the the beginning of Death by Death by Stereo. Like who were the the pure bands that you were in the scene with? Yeah, a, that is a good question. In the '90s, it would be like we'd play with. Um, let's see, there'd be this band called Stymie. Um, there was um, uh, Three Ply. They eventually became Zebrahead. Um, mm. There was and and dudes from lit we i remember death by stereo early on we played with lit once in like a like a dive bar um this is not when they were called razzle no i think this is yeah right when they were called lit okay a couple years before their big hit um but no there'll be a a lot of local um punk bands that are just escaping me at the moment we play all the time at like coos cafe occasionally like showcase like occasionally decons would open for like maybe good riddance or um swing and utters when i was in kleenex we would play with like um white caps and aquabats and straight faced and stuff like that so you'd play with like maybe guys from like um dr strange records or some of the other local record labels right Mm -hmm. Um, Paul Miner had a label called Dental Records that he would put out bands on. <laughs> yeah. It's a good name. <laughs> yeah. I remember playing with the Joy Killer, opening for the Joy Killer. Um, what other bands? Youth in Asia, um, Narcoleptic Youth, uh, DI. I'm trying to remember some of the bands we played with. What type of music did did Clean X play? It was kind of a kind of a no effects ish new school punk kind of thing, super fast punk. Okay, and we like we we'd open for like AFI stuff. We'd drive up and play with them in San Francisco and Berkeley, and stay with them. And Paul Miner kind of became friends with them early on, and and they'd come down here and play Southern California, and they'd stay with us and stuff, and kind of just became good friends with them. Um, yeah, so I remember Kleenex opening. We opened for them a few times. Um, it was just, uh, we'd play with whoever, you know? Yeah. <laughs> but we got lucky enough to kind of be some of the bands that were like openers for kind of touring acts a lot of times. At this point in your life, it's all about punk. No, no ska. 
Right. Yep. When you would play with Aquabats, what did you think of this band? I thought they were amazing. I thought this is this is such a fun time. This is hilarious, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember we played with them at Showcase once, like '96, and they and uh, we were like, uh, you know, the first out of five. Kleenex was like the first out of five bands, and um, and then I don't know if maybe the Aquabats were headlining. I can't remember, but next to headlining or headlining, and they had this like Chicken McNugget cannon. You know, that they brought out on stage <laughs> and and like it wasn't like lobbing the nuggets into the crowd i mean it was like blasting them into the crowd you know R- like a potato gun for chicken nuggets it was it was it had some <laughs> some force behind it you know it was it was gonna leave some welts on some people <laughs> <laughs> getting hit with the chicken nuggets anyway yeah i mean it was it was a blast they, i thought they were super fun and yet, you know, we'd play with other ska, ska bands sometimes, Homegrown or uh, Save Ferris, something like that. Falling Sickness ever? Yes. Yeah, I remember playing with Falling Sickness maybe at Coos once and then out at their place in Riverside, they had this like rehearsal space where they'd have shows. can't remember what it was called right now. But yeah, definitely played with Falling Sickness. Um, One Eye Open. Yeah, yeah they were good friends of of Ephraim Clint and uh, and Ephraim. So those guys were awesome. So going back a little further, you um, Marty McFly's scene in Back to the Future was uh, a big inspiration for you to become a gar- guitar player, right? It was, yeah. I know that might sound dumb, but you know what's funny is I was just thinking about that scene. I had I don't know why I had rewatched it for some reason, and I think I thought it was so funny that the band is playing like uh huey lewis and he's shredding like eddie van halen like those things don't even match no no that's awesome (laughs) because every every guitar player wanted to be eddie van halen right so (laughs) no i mean i think you know you're an impressionable kid like i at that point hadn't seen too much mtv yet and um certainly didn't know like too much about the history of rock and i'm like well that that looks awesome what he's doing see you know i didn't seen any Jimi hendrix films or uh, <laughs> you know acdc you know you just saw you're a kid you could see what was on the tv every now and then and and then that movie was like wow that looks awesome and it's funny there's other i've met other guitar players now that um that have admitted to also that being one of the reasons they started playing so how old were you when you started playing um, I was about 12 or 13. Okay. Probably around 91 or 92. And before you started playing, you would grab an umbrella or a tennis racket and just go crazy, right? Pretending you were playing guitar. You guys have, have done some research. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, yeah, I would just, uh, you know, my, my dad would put on some records and I would just jump off the stairs pretending I was Marty McFly. Hell yeah. Not realizing he was pretending he was Angus Young or Eddie Van Halen or <laughs> whatever, right? What uh, what kind of records would your dad put on that you would uh, play along to? Um, the Cars, uh, Huey Lewis, for sure. Um, also, but also like Zeppelin and The Doors, The Beatles. Did you have a favorite um, 
was it was a racket or an umbrella? What was the best item to get, <laughs> to pretend to play guitar? To? Yeah, tennis racket's pretty good. Yeah, because you, know? you can strum it. Exactly. Yeah, it's got a little more girth than just a <laughs> umbrella. You know. I guess yeah. If, if 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 you if you need something, you can grab an umbrella, but not it's not preferable. Yeah. <laughs> but I want to. I mean, I, you know, I wanted to play guitar right away when I after seeing that movie. I was like, you know, what, like seven or eight or something, but. I didn't actually start till I was about 12. My parents were like, oh, you're into music? Okay, well, you know, here's school, here, learn an instrument at school. And all they have were like jazz or classical type band instruments, right? right. So I'm looking like, what's the most rock and roll instrument I can play? Saxophone, I guess. You know, Huey <laughs> Lewis has a saxophone, right? Or, yep. you know, the 80s, the rock sax was big. Um, so I was like, okay, I want to play saxophone. Like then the school's like, well, you can't just play saxophone. You have to play clarinet first. I was like, ah, okay, fine, whatever. <laughs> so I played the clarinet, and I, you know, I didn't do so hot at that. So I'm like, all right, what about well, a stringed instrument? That's closer to guitar. What about the stand-up bass? You know, they're like, no, you have to play cello first before you play the stand-up bass. I was like, fine, I'll play the cello. <laughs> and that only lasted a few months as well. So. <laughs> And then eventually, I guess I just pestered my parents enough, and my grandma bought me like a fifty-dollar, you know, acoustic, classical acoustic guitar, and uh, it was all over. When when did you discover punk rock? That is uh, not right away, because I didn't feel like punk rock. You had to kind of have someone show it to you, Mm -hmm. because you know it wasn't really on MTV. It wasn't. I didn't have any older siblings. Or anything. When I first started playing guitar, I was all about metal, pretty much. Mm-hmm. That was big at the time. Grunge also too. There's just there was a ton of like guitar guitar music that was really big around the time I started playing guitar. I was just thinking about that the other day. You know, you had albums like uh, Nirvana's Nevermind and Smashing Pumpkins, um, Siamese Dream, and then. Guns N' Roses, uh, Use Your Illusions, and the Metallica's Black Album. There's tons of chick, huge guitar albums right around the time I started playing. But like a punk thing, I didn't really know about right until high school. So when I was in high school, I think it was really my uh, good friend, Steve Albertelli, who um, he played me Pennywise. I was like, whoa, what is this? <laughs> this is awesome. It's like way heavier and way faster. And he's like, yeah, yeah, let me show you some other stuff. So it was probably him. And after that, I started doing my own research too, you know? So I would just go and buy tapes of whatever albums I could find that looked cool, you know? Yeah. And I bought a Ramones tape that I was like, I'd never heard them, but the, it looked really cool. <laughs> and like I'd seen the shirts, I'm like, wow, the shirts look really cool. I'm gonna take a chance. And uh it was Ramon's mania, so, you know, kind of the best of. And I was hooked. I loved it so much. What led you to shows? Did uh were you cued into where the shows were happening by friends? <sighs> yeah, it was probably like older friends who could drive yeah. <laughs> could take me with them. You know, some some similar friends. Um, some of my first shows were at the Showcase Theater um, in Corona and then like the Ice House in Fullerton, like Guttermouth and Face to Face. I remember being one of my first shows 
at the ice house in Fullerton. And I think Paul and yeah, I went with Paul and Jim minor and it was like, I'm like, wow, I love this even more now. <laughs> Cause I was like, I was pushed my way to the front, you know, I'm like a pretty scrawny, like 14 year old or so just getting like, uh, you know, demolished the whole time with stage divers and just getting destroyed and punished by the, the crowd and, and just loving every second of it. <laughs> yeah. Getting spit all over me during gutter mouth set, set and everything. I don't know. I, I just loved it. The chaos, the energy, you know? Yeah. It's about hearing the way the, the drums and guitars and stuff sound in that club environment when all you've heard before was it was this music on your tapes. Yeah. For sure. It's so loud. It's just knocks you over. You know, I loved it. So back to death by stereo. Um, you're a key part of starting this band and writing a lot of the original music and designing the logo and coming up with the band name, but you're not in the band for very long, right? No, no, not really. Yeah. It was maybe two years max. Maybe. Is the reason you left the band to go on your Mormon mission? That's right. Yep. Wow. And where did you end up going on a mission? I went to Columbus, Ohio. <laughs> All the places in the world you could have gone on a mission to. Right. I, you know, I had friends heading out to like Japan and <laughs> South America and <laughs> Russia and all these places. I was like, Ohio. I'm like, all right, let's, let's go. But I mean, when I got there, it felt like a different world to me. Sure. It felt like it's almost a different country to me. I had never, you know, I've been a few places, but it, it was very, very different. On your mission, how good were you about not listening to secular music? <laughs> um, I didn't. I didn't really. The only the only thing I I did listen to is when um, Death by Stereo put out their that first full length. Uh, mm -hmm. Jared sent me a copy of it, and I listened to that because I wanted to hear it how it turned out. <laughs> yeah, because yeah. a lot of those were my songs, kind of you know. Sure. So yeah, yeah. How, what percentage of that record were your songs? I'd say probably 75% at least around there. Wow. It's got to be a weird feeling. Yeah, it was very weird, man. It was actually, and at the time, like kind of a very hard decision to make. Um, when you're like so wrapped up in, in like that, uh, the band thing was like everything to me. That's all I wanted to do. And so focused and all my energy went into it. And, um, and then to like, walk away from that and then even weirder to come back like a couple years later and like you know the band you started is now like signed to epitaph and headlining the glass house wow. or something for like a thousand people and you know you left and we were playing like parties and or like chain reaction for a couple hundred people maybe yeah so it was it, it was in it, it, like in a blink of an eye you know you, i didn't see everything anything in between right i just leave when it's this thing i come back and it's this thing it's like Wow, this is bizarre. Right. <laughs> well, and for and for those who don't know, mission a mission is two years, right? Right. right. So, I mean, you're gone for a two year period, and to you, it kind of doesn't feel like right. And it's basically disconnecting completely from your your home life, where you you just focus on what you're doing out there. And if uh, you're if you're contacting home, how are you doing it? Let just letters. Letters. Yeah. <laughs> you might call home twice a year on your birthday yeah maybe like christmas um yeah 
Mother's Day, maybe. So, yeah. So it's you're very you're kind of in a bubble, mm-hmm. almost. You know, from anything like anything of your former life or the outside world in general. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Quick sidebar. Yeah. Really quick. Have you seen the Book of Mormon musical? I have not. Dude, it's so good. I would, I would, I just, <laughs> I don't want to pay like two hundred dollars to see oh, it for or sure. whatever. <laughs> yeah, I got the cheap seats. They were it was like slightly obstructed view for like eighty bucks. Yeah, it was rad though. Oh, I guess it's probably on. Um, there's probably a video version I could see of it now. Yeah, they got so many like just little set dressing things. They got so right. It yeah, really made me happy. And Adam, uh, so tell us about uh, your mission. How did that go? I didn't go on one. My brother did. <laughs> I I went the other route. I joined a band. And my band didn't get signed to Epitaph. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I guess it did kind of feel kind of cool that like songs I wrote helped wrote helped them get signed to Epitaph. Heck yeah, that's awesome. It doesn't get kind of better than that, at least for me. Yeah, it was all the bands I grew up listening to, Rancid and. You know, Pennywise and No Effects and all that bad religion, of course, and all that stuff. Like, mm-hmm. so I felt kind of good. Like, hey, maybe a little of my songs might have helped them get signed to that. Definitely. So, do you think that if, uh, if uh, you know, you had stayed in the band and the same thing happened, signed to Epitaph, do you think that you would have just stayed in that band indefinitely? Wow, that's a great question. Maybe. Mm-hmm. Maybe. I don't know. I mean, because when, when you're that age, I mean, getting signed to Epitaph and uh, drawing a thousand people kind of seems like, as far as you're thinking, you're not thinking about playing arenas or anything. Yeah, no. Yeah, I mean, I pro- I might have. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It's hard to say. Because well, basically, I think like, all of the original members left eventually, except for Ephraim, right? Sure. So, uh, so I don't know. Maybe it's like, isn't there that analogy of like, um, in ancient Greece, it's like this boat, right? That it it goes out on the sea and then it starts breaking, so they start replacing the planks, and then they need to replace the mast, and then they replace the wheel. And, and at what point is it still? that same ship if all the parts have been replaced you know so um yeah i don't know but here's the thing is that we're all still like really good friends all the original members and about 10 years ago we wrote a whole nother album basically really that uh we still haven't released because we just haven't finished it completely it's like (laughs) probably 75 percent done just need to finish a few tracks and some vocals and it's done. And so we're like, this is rad. It's all the original members. It sounds like basically part two to that, that first album. And then we're like, what do we call ourselves if we release it? Cause there's still a death by stereo. That's not us out there. <laughs> mm-hmm. So we're brainstorming on that, but I, I mean, I hope it eventually gets out. It's really good. I, I have a suggestion. Fart sauna. <laughs> it's it's on the table. It is. It is actually on the table. As is the real death by stereo. Um <laughs> <laughs> the real death by stereo. <laughs> like the real Ghostbusters. Did you ever see guys ever Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Cut to 2006 is when you join uh, Aquabats. Yeah. What I know you 
your mission is from like I assume about ninety nine ninety eight to two thousand. Yeah. What's happening from like two thousand to two thousand six? Are you playing music at this point? Yeah, I was like, um, I was getting my bachelor's degree at the time, and um, at Cal State Fullerton, and I'm like uh, playing with some friends from high school in like an '80s cover band called the Electric Youth, which was super fun. And coincidentally, like members from that band went on to be in a band called the cold war kids which is like a yeah pretty big indie coachella darlings you know kind of band and a couple other guys were in a band called atreyu which is like oh, a yeah. pretty big like metal core uh, band um so yeah i was, was kind of like part-time it on the music thing until um and i was i was actually working booking the bands that would play at cal state fullerton and um so i booked bands and i was trying to book this band i really like called sense field on revelation records and mm-hmm. i finally got in touch with them and and they're like oh well we're recording an album right now we're not really playing any shows um but thanks for reaching out or something their drummer reached reached out to me after i'd been emailing I'm like, okay, that's cool, man. Um, by the way, if you know anyone looking for a guitar player, I've been in these bands, and uh, 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 let me know if you know anyone look, needs a guitar player or something. And I put that at the end of the email. I have no idea why. <laughs> pretty un- pretty unprofessional, I think, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> looking back. But anyway, he like hits me back a few months later, like, hey, how good are you? Well, I can send you like a, a video of me playing with this cover band or something. Like, okay, cool. And and they're like, yeah, you want you want to a touring guitar player for sense feel like yes <laughs> it's this band i loved and and uh they kind of hired me like sight unseen which kind of blows my mind a little but yeah uh that was the first time i really like went on tour was them that's like 2003 or so yeah 2003 and then that just like uh solidified what i had always known that i would love <laughs> playing in a band on the road I did that tour and I'm like, this is all I want to do for the rest of my life. But they, that only lasts about a year or less. And then they break up. And then John Bunch, the singer of that band, starts singing for this band, Further Seems Forever from Florida. Mm-hmm. And uh, he calls me up, like, hey, we need a, a touring bass player. You want to come do it? I was like, sure, why not? I'll play bass. If it means I get to tour, sounds awesome. And then I get there and like, there's a shuffle and then now i'm playing guitar for for there seems forever and we do i do a year like touring with them and then they break up oh well i just seem to happen in with these bands that just break up and i guess i'll go back to school and so I go back to school school to get my masters and right as i do that aquabats call me <laughs> <laughs> so keep i kind of keep kept doing both but yeah, so between Aquabat, between Mission and Aquabats, there was just kind of playing in some fun local band, cover band, and then... Um, and then some real touring. Yeah. Well, it's funny because I was like the the old guy touring at that point. I, I mean, I was only like 24, I think, when I started playing with Sensefield, but all my friends had already, you know, that time been touring for like five or six years, you know? Yeah. Because <laughs> everyone around me, 
I don't know what it was, man. Just the, I guess the, where we lived, everyone around me was in like professional touring bands, like all my friends. Sure. Well, I mean, also, I mean, you, you at 18, you know, went on your mission and everybody else at 18 went on tour. Exactly. Right. Yeah. So they're going to end up, you know, being a couple of years ahead on that. Yeah. Had you been keeping up with Aquabats? Were you friends with them? I'm curious about that part of it. How, why you were the person they called? I'm, st- I'm still kind of curious about that. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, myself. <laughs> no, for real, because I didn't, I didn't know any of the guys. Um, really? You weren't friends with them? No. I you know seen them play uh, back in the 90s. And then I remember seeing them another time at one of the Vandals Christmas shows, maybe like 2000 or 2001, with assorted jelly beans and the Ataris. And then... Um, uh, I think what it was is that um, there were people I knew that knew them, and when they started asking around, like, "Hey, anyone, anyone know a guitar player?" They said, "Hey, I know this guy Ian. You should call maybe." That's that's, I think maybe how it happened. Did you have to audition, or did the, were you just in the band? Yeah. So. Um, yeah, I guess it was an audition. I came down like uh, and jammed with just uh, Ricky the drummer and Chad the bassist, and I learned like half of their. They had put out a new CD called Charge in like 2005. I so I I learned like the first half of that CD and came down and just played with them, and then, you know, like a couple nights later, came down and played again with the whole band. And then um, they're like, hey, we're, uh, we're filming this pilot for this TV show called Yo Gabba Gabba. Come down, come down to, the, to the set where we're filming this pilot in, in Long Beach. And I'm like, okay. And then that's when they're like, yeah, we wanna, want you to be in the band, like full, full-time member. All right, let's do it. The Aquabats tour with Rancid on one of the first tours you did? We did. Yeah, like, like maybe the first year I was in the band. Yeah. We did like a short, short stint with them for a couple weeks. It was awesome. I love Rancid. They're one of my favorite all-time bands. So what was that like going from, you know, being a fan of them as a younger kid to touring with them? I mean, it was amazing. I'm just, you know, sitting on the side of the stage every night watching the whole <laughs> set, you know, just taking videos and stuff and just like, I don't know, loving it. It was like the last tour they did with uh brett reed the original drummer mm-hmm. yeah it was it was super cool now i was i was brushing up on my aquabats history and um as i understand it the aquabats had kind of suffered a little bit of a lull in the 2000s after sort of the 90s ska boom and then they kind of went a different direction musically but by maybe about 2004 2005 they were picking back up because they had stopped touring and then they started touring pretty hard and then their guitarist quit because he couldn't tour like that anymore which is then you come into the picture what was the state of the aquabats as as you can remember when you joined i think all that you said was pretty correct um it's like a kind of yeah kind of a a rebuilding era (laughs) maybe yeah (laughs) a little bit so yeah, we did a lot of touring and um 
and I think that that album charged just kind of reinvigorated them. Um, that was like 2005, kind of like a comeback album almost, you know? And, uh, there was like kind of renewed interest in the band. It had been, yeah, like you said, like almost a decade since like the, the ska boom in the nineties. Right. So yeah. it come back around a little bit, I think. Interesting. So, I'm curious too what your experience like was being an being an Aquabat. Specifically, I want to know what your experiences were like with the fans because this is a fanboy. This is a pretty passionate fan base, from what I can tell. Absolutely, yeah. Um, you know, c- crowds, people come dressed in sometimes sort of generic Aquabats gear, sometimes very specific with very specific references in them. Yeah. <laughs> yes. It, all of that is true. It's a very, very intense fan base, I think. Yeah. It, and <clears throat> I'd never seen anything like it at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, it's pre- I, it's pretty amazing actually. And I think there's a, almost like a type of person who's drawn to the Aquabats, like almost like the comic book collector kind of vibe or mentality too of like they want to collect all the costumes and all the action figures or, or whatever <laughs> kind of thing you know yeah but uh they go they go hard they go all in you know it's pretty awesome though do uh do audience members ever come dressed as you to shows um i don't know if it's like me specifically necessarily just but yeah as dressed as aquabats yes <laughs> yeah <laughs> How many different iterations are there of the Aquabats uniform? Or do you even know? Well, I know in the early years, they would switch it up every night. Mm-hmm. They had so many different... So the, the tops are like a surfing rash guard, right? Um, yeah. And one of the guys uh, who was in the band, Boyd, their trump, trumpet player, his brother owned a wetsuit company. So... um he had access to all the different colors of rash guards there were, right? So they had, a, <laughs> I guess, just suitcases full of, of them. And it's like, okay, tonight's yellow. Tonight's pink. Tonight's uh, American flag. Uh, tonight, you know, they would switch it off and uh, with different board shorts and, and rash guards every night, sometimes on tour. Um, but it seems like the big ones are kind of like every album cover. There'd be like a different color rash guard. Mm-hmm. Uh, the first ones were like these hooded green ones, like neon green hooded ones. And then the the Fury of the Aquabats, they're kind of big one. There was like black rash guards. And then the next album was yellow, I think. Someone's going to like hate me if I don't know this. <laughs> I think it's yellow. Um, that's the Floating Eye of Death record, right? And then... Um, and then charge were the blue ones. I think the blue ones kind of became the standard ones. Right. Basically. I think that's the, that's the most recognizable. Right. One. And the even the, the first album I was on was called High Five Soup, and they were we were wearing purple uh, on that one. And we wore the purple ones maybe for a tour or two after that came out. But the purple ones be, became our like stealth mode ones from our our TV show. Hmm. How uh how many sets of 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 uniforms do you guys take on tour? 
like to change out. So, I mean, I'm guessing they're getting sweaty and stinky. Yeah. Oh yeah. 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 Like a lot, <laughs> like, like, a you know, like a giant trash bag full mm-hmm. of them, you know? I, I mean, I don't sweat as much as some people. So uh-huh. I, I can maybe get two nights out of one sometimes, depending on how sweaty the club or the show is. But you kind of will wash them as we go. Like, you yeah. know, venues have, some venues have washing machines and stuff. So who sweats the most? <laughs> wow, that's a good question. I'm always just going <laughs> to probably say the drummer. Uh, that's a safe answer. Of any band. <laughs> yeah. How hot are those outfits? extremely yeah it was a it was weird getting used to a the the heat because the the neoprene helmets just lock in the heat yeah and then uh the skin tight rash guards don't help either um but it's the especially at first it was the the loss of peripheral vision with the masks Mm -hmm. that was the craziest part because i I I never practiced Before I played my first show with them, I never, you know, put on the gear to practice in the gear. So my first show, I think it was at the Glass House, and I was like, whoa, okay, I got to be really careful because I can't see anything out of the sides of my mask. And the Aquabats are a pretty active band on stage, too. Yeah. So you got to kind of use your spidey sense to <laughs> uh, see who's around you, feel who's around you. Have you ever had any catastrophic uh, biffs on stage? Knock on wood, not really catastrophic. Uh-huh. <laughs> Minor, yeah. A co- occasional, occasional bump, you know. But uh, when we got the TV show, we kind of made more, uh, cut out the eyes and the masks so we could see a little better, and so that people could see our faces a little better on camera, and so those newer masks are way better. Nice. Yeah, I want to ask a little bit about uh, people that have joined you on stage, famous people that have joined the Aquabats on stage. Okay, sure. I know, I know Weird Al has joined you on stage before, right? Yes, that was really cool. Jack Black? Um, I don't think Jack Black has been on stage with us. Okay, I know he's done Yo Gabba Gabba and stuff, and I've seen pictures of him in the outfit, so he hasn't joined you on stage. He did a... Um... A thing for our like Kickstarter. He filmed a, a video for our Kickstarter. Where, yeah, he was in the costume, but he hasn't been on stage with us that I know of. And anyone else has joined you on stage? Yeah, um, a couple times in Boston, we've had um, Greg Hawks, the keyboard player of the Cars, come out with us. Oh yeah, play with us. Yeah, one time he came out and we played just what I needed which is like my favorite song of all time. I mean, it's a great song. And he brought the keyboard that he used on the record. Oh, man. He brought it to the club and played that part on that keyboard. It was like, it was one of the coolest things that's ever happened to me on stage. Play a car song with the keyboard player of the cars. He would, he's, he's really cool. He, like, ever since I joined the band, he's, he was always at our shows in Boston just to hang out and see us. He was like a fan. Hmm. And his kids were fans too and stuff. So it was really cool. Did you get him in the rash guard? Um, I'm just, I don't know. We've had him in masks, I think, and helmets. I don't know if we've <laughs> ever gotten him in a rash guard. That's enough. The, the mask and the helmet. 
Yeah. And he, uh, and went another time he came out and he did, um, he plays the ukulele too. He came and played a car song on the ukulele. Which, which car song did he play on ukulele? Uh, you might think. Oh, nice. Yeah. So that was, that was pretty cool in Boston, you know, so the crowd's just like loving it. Losing their minds. Yeah. But no, we've had, we've been really lucky. We've had a lot of friends join us here and there at stage. What's the Weird Al story? I, I've seen some footage. I don't know if that was the only time. I think I think that was the only time we we played this um, the show at the El Rey in L.A. I think it was like 2018. It was basically like the the last day of a of a Kickstarter campaign we were doing, and so it was like all of it was leading up to this final this this show, right? Um, for a month long Kickstarter campaign, we really releasing videos about all these bad guys coming after us and you know that show at the l ray was like they were all there in person then after you'd watch the videos and they were all there in person fighting us and stuff and and then we had a, a bunch of people come out that show that was where weird al came out and then um then we had this like crazy all-star jam on the the motorhead version of the david bowie song heroes and we had um, Steve Jones from the Sex Pistols on guitar, and CJ Ramon came out, and um, uh, Jesse from Eagles of Death Metal, and we had Lieutenant Dangle uh, <laughs> from Reno Nine One One out there. Um, buddy Kevin Preston, who plays in Green Day. Uh, gosh, I'm, I know I'm missing people. Paul Frank. He came out there. This is like an all-star jam. That's pretty awesome. Puddles Pity Party. I don't know if you guys have heard of Puddles. Oh, yeah. The clown. Like, the clown, yeah. <laughs> the sad clown. Right, yeah, yeah. Who has this incredible voice. What, what did what did Puddles do uh, at your show? Uh, we did a cover song with him. We did Where's My Mind by the Pixies. And then he came out for that, that all-star jam on Heroes. Oh. So Jack Black hasn't done a show with you, but he's a fan and he's a friend. Yeah, he 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 definitely knows of us and he's like he when we were doing uh Yo Gabba Gabba season two, um he approached us like, Hey, can I can I be on your show? Uh, my kids like it. We're like, Of of course. <laughs> <laughs> and so he thought he was just going to be a guest and we ended up building a whole episode around him. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, it was actually super cool. Cause he didn't ask for like that much money. He drove himself like things that like other guests who've been on there didn't do, you know, I, it was really cool. He's at the time, like, you know, Tropic Thunder, I think was, was the movie he's on billboards outside LA and he came to be on our little show and it was pretty rad. We heard in a, in a, in a bonus episode re-recorded. I won't say what the person, I won't name the person who said this, but they said that on the, on the, the week that you filmed the, the, with Jack black, that he was um, constantly like procuring food that everyone was offering him for other people on the crew. <laughs> Like, hey, you want a sandwich? And then he would like, you'd so every he was making sure everyone on the crew would be getting food. He would go, you know what sounds good right now? In and out burger. 
And then, oh, we'll, we'll send a PA and go get, oh, do you guys want some in and out Burger too? <laughs> That's pretty close because I definitely did go and get him McDonald's Happy Meals to put in his trailer <laughs> <laughs> that, that day. So, yeah, that is very accurate. Incredible. It, it was funny, too, at the time because I, I don't think the Aquabats were necessarily on his radar, but like we had filmed this pilot episode for our TV show and... I had a DVD of it and I put it like under the happy meal in his trailer, like hoping that like, Oh, he'll see this and maybe check this out. (laughs) (laughs) So you're okay. So your, your Aquabat character is Eagle bones, Falcon Hawk. That's right. Tell us the story of you're hired in the band and now, now a character has to be built. So what is that process like? Um, It's just basically like the long drives in the van. You're just, throwing out names you know mm-hmm. and uh, seeing what sticks <laughs> so there was just everyone in the band just like how about this no how about this no the next day like how about this no how about this no and then um someone's someone said bones and i was like yeah that's pretty cool uh and you know i love the bones brigade and bones just sound you know kind of sounds cool anyway it's a good like nickname and i was super skinny then and and then someone said eagle bones is like and then chad perked up and was like yeah i like eagle bones <laughs> and then it's like the longer the tour went on the more like birds of prey just kept getting attached to that name <laughs> eagle bones falcon yeah eagle bones falcon hawk <laughs> that's the to my recollection it was just yeah on tour people just throwing it out throwing stuff out there wait backing up slightly what were, do you remember any of the names that didn't make it i remember one yeah winnebago johnson <laughs> <laughs> man i'm glad you didn't land on that one that's crazy <laughs> all the names seem to kind of fit each guy too pretty well mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> well i mean you know your name, your last name has a has a bird quality to it. I'm sure that's probably what sparked. Right. Yeah. Your name. You're skinny, you know, bones. So it fits. Yeah. And so and it's more than that, too. It was like uh, fowls, like math and fowl, fowls of the air, right? Birds, mm-hmm. um, like you said, but also like um, my like frail bird bones was like a joke. Mm-hmm. Um, because I was skinny and, and also like I have um, like a knee condition. So I, I have to wear like knee braces on stage when I play. So my kneecaps um, can pop out of the socket really easily. Oof. And it was just like a thing I was born with. Uh, my bones of my legs were bent. And so, um, so whenever I do anything active, I have to be super careful and like wear knee braces to stabilize. Them. So. It just looks like, you know, who's who's the, the gimp on stage, you know, <laughs> has these weak bones. So it was like a thing like, yeah, he's weak physically, but, you know, spiritually, he's a master or something, you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I, I, I wrote down uh, some of your mythology as I read it on the uh, Aquabats wiki. So let's go through some of it. Okay. okay. <laughs> so you. uh you wield a laser guitar 
have eagle vision and can summon the dude, who's a magical invisible bird. Yes, this is all correct. <laughs> he is the skinniest aquabat. Is that true? Yes. Okay. And the power belt usually sits on his hips rather than around his waist. Wow, that's uh, detail. That's uh... <laughs> someone's been someone's been paying attention. Someone's paying yeah. close. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's true. Yeah, I, I do. Where I wear my pants too, so I I don't know. Just how I roll, I guess. <laughs> he has long hair, and he sticks it under the anti-negativity helmet. It's part of your style. Yep. And then here's the part you're just talking about. He wears knee braces at all times because of his weak bird-like bones. So it's it got built into the mythology. Yeah, I mean, all of our characters are actually just kind of cartoonish extensions of ourselves, honestly. Yeah. It really is. Like, Ricky Fitness, he's the fittest guy in the band, you know? And the sweatiest. Well, that's to given if you're playing drums, I think. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Crash McLarson was like, you know, the gentle giant kind of, you know, character of the Aquabats. So I don't know. There's uh, a lot of it that, like, they're just kind of exaggerations of who we are a little bit. Sure. But also, it also kind of fit into like archetypes and stuff, too. So it says here that you usually sit at the back of the battle ram but you're quick to weigh in and give opinions on important matters. Yeah. The battle tram. The battle tram. Yeah. Sorry. It's all right. It's all right. There are many Um. times where he's (laughs) he's taken on a leadership role when the commander was unable to take control. This can sometimes lead to friction between the two. They usually are able to work it out. Wow. This is excruciatingly detailed. (laughs) I mean, yeah, it's, uh, you know, it's the classic, classic um, struggle. Yeah. Lead guitar player and lead singer, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, Plant and Page, uh, you know, or Mick and Keith, you know. <laughs> I think it's that's just how it goes in rock and roll. Yeah, that's how it goes in rock and roll. Eagle Bones could be a bit of a show off and a hothead, and before his run-ins with his brother Eagle Claw, was very egotistical about his position in the band and his abilities on the guitar. Yeah. So that's like tapping straight into the like the TV show episodes. Yeah, yeah. so Eagle Claw uh was played by John Hedder, right? From Napoleon Dynamite. Yes. Yeah. How did he do as your brother? He did amazing. <laughs> <laughs> he was uh, perfect. He was incredible. So the, the there was an episode of the show um where you kind of your origin story, you're wandering the yeah. earth for I don't know, 15 years or something like that. Or, I don't know, you're wandering the earth. Yeah, yeah, we're all perpetually 16 in the Aquabats. Yeah. <laughs> and so, so, you, so you, come, you come into a, a bar, and uh, the Aquabats are on stage, and they're playing, like, old ska Aquabat songs. And uh, it's not going well. No, and no. And you hop on stage, and, and you uh, rock, you shred some guitar, and uh, it's a game changer. Yeah. And they invite you to join the band, but you tell them, get rid of the horns. <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah. And that's just, those are inside jokes too. <laughs> just like my, my first, my first thing in that, it's like a cartoon segment in one of the episodes. Yeah. And it's like, the first thing, like, they sounded awful and they had horns. 
um, and it zooms in on their like they're wearing like horn helmets. Yeah, because when I joined the Aquabesta, I guess there was one horn left. Maybe uh, Jimmy, the robot, played. He played keyboards and saxophone. So, uh, but you know that album Charge had no horn parts on it in 05. So right after I joined, there was. Yeah, those songs were mainly playing, didn't have any horns. Mm-hmm. So any any horn songs were earlier stuff. But yeah, it's just a joke about how I don't like ska. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Let's let's talk about <laughs> I watched that and you know, I had that information. You already told me that. And I was like, Oh, this is a joke. This has to be a joke about you being the the guy in the band not into ska. Yeah, that's true. It is. <laughs> <laughs> but it it's also like uh kind of again exaggerations of true stuff you know mm-hmm. me wandering the earth the gun for hire like outlaw guitar player kind of thing in that cartoon it's like yeah i'm just before the aquabats i kind of was just the dude hopping from band to band yeah and then come in and and act like i <clears throat> like i own the place you know <laughs> maybe a little and uh but lose the horns and I think I also say, like, yeah, if we ever make any money or get famous, then I'm out. <laughs> <laughs> so good thing neither of those things happens. Otherwise, I'd have to be out. Oh, wait. So let me just interject here really quick since we're on the topic of the Aquabats show. Uh, my my kids never got into it. But one of their good friends who's now 11 years old has been an Aquabats fan since he was a kid coop and so i asked him earlier today i was like eagle bones is his favorite uh aquabat and so i asked him like what what question do you want me to ask and so he wanted to know what is your favorite episode of the show my favorite episode i think is the floating eye of death from season one okay what happens in that episode um we play a show we're on a drive to the next town and we stop at like a truck stop for the night and then um, Crash goes in, or we, we read Crash a bedtime story, right? And and accidentally summon the floating eye of death <laughs> by saying his name backwards three times. Crash goes out to get some snacks in the middle of the night, and it, it appears and starts turning people into zombies with its stare. And then it's so it's us trying to trying to save the. Uh, cashier of the growth of the like you know gas station and um defeat the floating eye of death mm-hmm. and it was just a super fun one to film as well as just i think just a super fun episode yeah were any of the episodes a pain to film yeah all of them <laughs> <laughs> uh no it got easier second season but the first season was hard yeah just because you guys were stretching so thin or what yeah it was a lot of things you know it was uh a small-ish budget and uh we were, it was non-union and we were like doing a lot of different tasks ourselves like writing uh and acting and um scoring and doing the, the soundtrack to the, the songs and stuff so and it was just weird <sighs> We just sh- were shooting for the stars, kind of. You know, we yeah. wanted it to look as as cool as it could for the the little money we had to do it. And um, 
had a lot of really talented people take pay cuts to work with us <laughs> on it to be to be honest um just cuz they thought it was cool and fun but yeah we work there were long long days where you know you'd shoot sun up to sundown and then go back to the office and and work on music for a few more hours and stuff mm-hmm. it was you know 15 hour days sometimes 7 days a week and it was just a lot and usually yeah. it always ended up with aquabats laying in the dirt getting beat by some monster you know <laughs> <laughs> so getting goop on us or getting getting thrashed by some monster it was our our joke like when it's not an episode until aquabats are laying in the dirt <laughs> i'm not gonna say i didn't enjoy it enjoy it because i did but it was it was a little difficult oh for sure I mean, yeah, getting getting goop poured all over you and and laying in the dirt and getting smashed by a monster, as fun as it might you know be in the moment, it's also it's still work. Yeah, and I'm not complaining, but it was hard the first season. I think the second season things got a little more streamlined. We understood better how to make the show and what it was, and we shot in uh, Utah where we got a tax break, so um, it was cheaper to make it, and so we had a little more money to hire more people and, and stuff to just, it was just more streamlined. So, yeah. So back to this whole, um, you don't like ska thing. Okay. <laughs> Let's do it. <laughs> you, when I, when I invite you on the show, you like warned me. <laughs> I, that's the part I think is funny. You, you had to warn me. You're not a ska fan. Well, I don't know how I could be on the defense in defense of ska if I can't really defend it. So well, you don't have, you don't have to defend it. We're here to defend it. So and I know it, it's probably if any Aquabat fans listen to this, going to break their heart if they didn't already know this. But maybe I shouldn't admit this, right? No, it's every <laughs> every every superhero in the band has their own unique uh, strengths and their um, flaws. Yeah. So my fl- <laughs> my flaw is not liking Scott. <laughs> it might be. It might be my flaw. Yeah. Um, how did you did that? I mean, obviously, Aquabats were had moved away from ska when you joined, but yeah, was that an all like a an issue, or did you care at all if about that when you joined? Um, no, because I had I had heard that new album, like, oh wow, this is pretty cool. This is kind of like Devo or Boingo, you know. There's way more keyboards and um, the guitar featured like way more prominently in that record, and like I could do this. This is fun. So you're not uh, not so good at the upbeats. Um, no, I can play them. Yeah, I can play. I can play them <laughs> just fine. Uh, just because I don't like it doesn't mean I can't play it. Um, I think at least I think I can play it. Okay, that might be for you guys to judge. What do you remember not liking about ska? Well, because <laughs> <laughs> it's fine. Like I, I mean, I I don't love all ska. Yeah, at the time, and I guess you guys were from around here too. But like, it, you know, in the 90s in Orange County, it was just everywhere. Yeah. And coming more from like kind of, you know, metal than punk, it just seemed kind of like wimpy, wussy music to me. Mm. And like an excuse for the kids in like high school band to look cool. Which sounds so like bad now, <laughs> because everyone should play whatever music they want and, and sure. try and look cool. But I, 
had a different attitude back then. It was more hardcore, I guess. Right. Well, and also there's nothing more punishing than like the high school ska band. Maybe. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's definitely an important, it's an important time for people, but it's also can be pretty brutal. Well, if you'd listen to a band like that and then the next band that comes up is like a hardcore band, it just had way more impact on me than ska did. And I don't know why. Maybe it's the angst, angsty teenager thing uh, or something. I don't know. And you can you can be kind of a not great hardcore band and sound pretty good. If you're a not good ska band, you're going to sound real bad. <laughs> Straight up. Yeah. I remember this, the first ska band I ever saw, and I, and I was like impressed because I had never seen horns, and they were pretty good. Mm-hmm. Um, what was the band? band called, they're called Lone Raspberry. Mm. I don't know Lone Lone Raspberry. No, never heard that name. Out of Orange County. Yeah. I was like, wow, I've never heard this kind of music before. This is actually kind of cool. Um, and I did like Operation Ivy a lot and Rancid. Um, but Operation Ivy didn't have horns. Yeah, sure. And, what about Suicide Machines? Even, no, I was not into Suicide Machines. Oh, okay. Um, but even the, um, you know, the, the clean guitar of Op Ivy wasn't that clean either, you know? Yeah. It's kind of dirty, and I like that aspect of it a lot. Um, but yeah, a lot of it was um, the cleans were too clean, you know, mm-hmm. when they uh, when they were bands of plam and and the inky inkies got too fast, you know? Mm-hmm. Inky, mm-hmm. inky, 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 and then it would switch down, na, 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 you know? And I was like, oh, okay, well, <laughs> pick a lane, pick a lane. <laughs> a little bit uh so i don't know i think it was just i was an angry teenager and and it wasn't punk or hardcore enough for me at the time none of these bands measured up to lone raspberry <laughs> <laughs> i don't know I, I like i said i saw the aquabats and i'm like wow that was that was pretty awesome that was really fun and um but any, all the other ones i saw were not that great so i mean you were okay with uh, Scott Aquabats. Yeah. Yeah. Cause they had, uh, you know, kind of a, a, a different energy. Mm-hmm. Did you like, I mean, I, did you like the over the top, like in the nineties when you were, when you saw the band way before you were in the band? Yeah. Did you like the over the top, like character, you know, in character element of the band? Yeah. Cause they're like, wow, they're committed, you know, <laughs> they're committed to being ridiculous. Like <laughs> all the way. Not just like wearing checkers or something like they're literally wearing rubber helmets right now. <laughs> that's that's impressive. Yeah, yeah. That was my first experience with the Aquabats. I don't remember. Um, I don't remember them really being much. Like I didn't. I don't remember. I wouldn't say I was a fan or not a fan. I just don't really remember having much of an opinion on them. Mm-hmm. And then I saw you know like in like ninety five or ninety six I saw them play live. And I was so I was really impressed by what you said that the commitment, the yeah, how they never broke character. Yeah, I don't know how you couldn't see them and not get won over by them. You know. Yeah, exactly. You know, they're playing a punk show, and it's just like they're playing. They're on stage. I it's it makes a hundred percent. It makes all sense to me that they ended up on TV eventually because that's how they acted in puck shows. Like they were that professional with the characters. And I think they had that planned from from pretty early on. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, that doesn't surprise me. They wanted it to be a, a breakfast cereal and a <laughs> TV show and a, and a comic book and yeah, everything. Yeah. They wanted the whole package. So Yo Gabba Gabba has just started right before you joined or right after? Basically right as I'm joining. Ah, yeah, crazy. They're, fi- they're filming that pilot. The f- original pilot they just put on YouTube, but then they got money to film like a legit pilot um, with Biz Marquee and, and who else? Elijah Wood and... And that's the like uh, the really the pilot that looks good that gets them picked up by Nickelodeon. What's your involvement with the Yo Gabba Gabba? Um, I on season one I was just like a guest a few times, but on season two I actually worked on in the on the production staff. Doing what? I was an office PA, production assistant, mm. and I was a runner, uh, driving all over LA picking up gear and stuff um and i would do stuff on set like whatever needed to be done kind of thing and then i'd also play guitar in some of the songs i didn't really write any write any songs for yo gabba and then yeah seasons three and four i would work on it sporadically but season two is the only one i worked on the whole thing i see and then the aquabats super show which we discussed already you you're a main character in the show because it's about the band and you're, and you're part of the band. Had you ever imagined yourself being a character in a TV show? No, no, not necessarily. <laughs> <laughs> no, I had taken like a, a theater class in high school and thought it was pretty cool. And I like that, that could be fun one day. So it's not like I was against it or anything, but I definitely didn't pursue acting at all Mm -hmm. i just wanted to play guitar yeah that's interesting i mean like you were saying like the uh, christian and and the the founders of the band had envisioned this for themselves when they were young right and they had had shot a few pilots like before and i actually i've seen footage of christian as a kid acting and other stuff so i mean obviously but you end up in this tv show and it's not part of your vision for yourself as a kid no but i'll roll with it you know yeah i mean who wouldn't (laughs) yeah i if it allows me to play more guitar i I make my whole thing is i just want to play guitar as much as possible all day every day yeah (laughs) (laughs) since i picked up the guitar that's all i ever wanted to do you know and anything that can help me do that more i will do it kind of thing i saw a a post that uh, the aquabats made around 2014 and uh it's a view and you got a mustache and fans are not digging it. Oh, really? <laughs> How long was your mustache phase? Um, I've, I've had a couple here and there. I feel like <laughs> every dude has had one here or there, you know, at some point to try it out. Right. Uh, I, but I didn't, I don't think I had one in 2014. I probably had one in like, it was maybe like, Oh, seven or something. Okay. I remember when, I, when, yeah, when we were doing season two of Gab, I had a pretty gnarly one. Um, <laughs> that then I think uh, Christian nicknamed the Bone Stash or something. <laughs> but yeah, it didn't. It didn't last too long. What was it like? A full on like Fu Manchu or no? It was more just Burt Reynolds. Okay. Yeah, just just the main just the main stash under the nose. Just a a cop mustache. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Pop mustache. 
Yeah. It sucks because, well, I don't know if it sucks, but I can't really grow hair on my cheeks. I, I can't do the beard. I've, I've mm-hmm. tried. Can't, I just can't do a beard. So your options are clean shaven or mustache? Well, I can do the full, like, you know, like mustache, chin, full goatee thing comes in in a few days. Okay. Kind of thing. But it's so, but my cheeks, nothing. So, yeah. You know, I don't know. Just experimenting. Experiments in facial hair that most people go through. I didn't sure. really think about how it would affect our fans. <laughs> <laughs> I probably didn't play that many shows with it, honestly. Maybe a couple. Uh, and then uh, I read another thing. Uh, you you have socks on your tour writer. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's, I, I think, a genius idea. That's a clutch move. <laughs> No, I, I swear. I think Link 80 did the same thing for a second. Like, it makes sense. Wait, so you were in Link 80, yeah? Yeah, yeah. From when to when? To 1998 to oh, till okay. the end. I saw Link 80 at Gilman Street once in 96. Yeah, I might have been in the audience. <laughs> oh, okay, cool. <laughs> I loved Link 80 then. I just wasn't in the band. Rad. Uh, is that it, the only thing that you request on your writer? Um, our writer has really like thinned out over time. Hmm. Um, just because uh, people don't really know this, but the money just comes out of your own pocket. It's not. Yeah. It comes out of the money you get paid for the show, really. So it's it's an illusion like, oh, look at all this free food we could do. It's not free. You're paying for it. <laughs> Someone just went and shopped for it for you. Right. And so we saw a lot of it getting wasted. So we've summed it down quite a bit it's basically just waters mm-hmm. and maybe um some sandwich stuff here and there yeah all that food backstage doesn't matter if nobody is actually eating it well and there's like usually it's like more than bands can eat a night mm-hmm. and maybe i guess if you're hosting people in your dressing room and they're eating it too but we said forget about that they don't need they can buy stuff if they're hungry yeah <laughs> so we just kind of slimmed it down and you know just a few basic things and maybe not even every day, you know, mm-hmm. just lots of waters, occasionally some Cokes, um, some sandwich stuff. Usually if we're on tour now, like if we have a tour bus, we'll get enough stuff the first couple days to like stock it out. And then when we run low, we'll just have the runner go do another shop or something. But yeah, our riders are not grandiose events anymore. But the socks are cool. The socks are nice. So socks are still on the rider then? Yeah, but um, I think technically they're still in there, but we usually just say, no, nah, we're, we're just good with some water and <laughs> PB&J. How important is changing your socks on tour? <laughs> oh, that's pretty clutch, you know? It's like, yeah, it's like the movie Forrest Gump, you know? <laughs> it's like Vietnam. <laughs> yeah. No, it, it, just, it just feels nice, you know? A fresh pair of socks. Yeah, pants can go a couple days, but socks and underwear, got to be changing those. Well, and pants can go more days for us because we have dedicated dedicated stage clothes, right? So, yeah. Yeah, you guys aren't even wearing them on stage. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about, you You got lost backstage once at a, in Delaware. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, that was a full-on spinal tap moment. Yeah, like a straight-up Hello Cleveland moment. Yeah, that was... I th- that was was that Delaware? Yeah, it was at an an indoor amusement park type place. Oh yeah, that I thought that was before the Aquabats. I I think 
Okay. I think that was in a different band. Um, yeah, I can't remember. Big Kahunas, was that what it was called? It, it was this wild place that just like wrapped around forever. And there's, you know, <laughs> between the backstage and the stage, like a quarter mile. No, it wasn't, it wasn't that much, but it was huge, huge, a few hundred yards. Like, and, and through like turning corridors and passageways and, I think multiple buildings, if I remember right. And and at some point, like you lost where the signs were, you know, or t- towards the stage. And, and uh, yeah, that was, it was my, one of my worst Spinal Tap moments. Someone had to come get me, come find me. So what was this place? This was a, I think it was called Big Kahunas. It was like, you know, in Delaware, it gets super freezing cold in the winter. So they had this full indoor amusement park where it had like a venue and an arcade and like i feel like there was mini golf maybe even in there i'm trying to remember it's been quite a long time was it like a show or was it were you like entertainment for kids no it was a it was a tour stop uh when i was playing for further seems forever yeah it was actually pretty fun because like normally there's not much to do but after sound check you know you can go play in the arcades and hang out yeah Get some food. It was cool. Do some mini golf. <laughs> <laughs> it's scary after you've been in a band a long time and how much like Spinal Tap is just right. It's just dead on. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> Too true. It's sad sometimes to watch it. It's a fi- there's the fine line between clever and stupid. <laughs> <laughs> you said it was your most Spinal Tap moment. Do you have any other Spinal Tap moments? I mean, yeah. Look at look at us. We're in the Aquabats. Like. <laughs> <laughs> it's ridiculous. <laughs> Don't go anywhere. If you want to hear the rest of this conversation, head over to our Patreon. Thank you for listening to In Defense of Scott. Please rate and review this podcast and tell a friend. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. At In Defensive Ska. Pick up Aaron's book, In Defensive Ska, at your local bookstore or online. This podcast is edited by Chris Reeves of Ska Punk International. This is your co host, Adam Davis of Omnigon, leaving you by saying Ska now more than ever. special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Hey, everybody. It's Barry from the What Podcast. Hey, it's Russ. Hey, it's Brian, and we are giving away two tickets to Bonnaroo 2024. These are GA+, and they include camping. Russ... How do people get qualified? We want to hear your top artists to play on the Bonnaroo 2024 lineup. Call 423-667-7877 and tell us who we should check out. It's the What Podcast. Thanks.